Welcome to Green and Gold Forever. I'm Eric Drews, broadcasting from Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and we'll be joined shortly here by Matt McLean, who is in his car on his way back home in Eau Claire. Uh, so that should be interesting. I hope he drives safely while he talks to us for the first part of Green and Gold Forever. The Green Bay Packers win for the fourth consecutive week by the final of 44-31, and as impressive as they were at times, and as big of a win as this is in the division, it's much bigger in the fact that the Metrodome, the house of horrors for the Green Bay Packers since basically it was erected, is now out of the Packers' history, I can confidently say, uh, with the Vikings sitting at 1-6, and six. and... Uh, we commented it on Facebook a little bit, and as much as this game had a lot to be uh, praised on its own, as a Packer fan who has been a fan for a long time, obviously people older than us probably breathing even a larger sigh of relief than than we are today, but how nice is it to not have to play in that hefty bag anymore? Yeah, and it's it's so nice, that, especially going in there in the uh, you know the late nineties and. In the early 2000s when, you know, they killed us every time we went there, it seemed like. And mm-hmm. uh, Brett Favre would have his terrible games and, we'd, you know, just go out there feeling pretty upset. And lately it hasn't been quite as treacherous. I know we lost one there last year. But, I mean, even when they've been bad and we've been good, I think Aaron Rodgers' record is now, what, only 3-3 three and three there or something yep. like that? Yep, 3-3. Three and three So it, even when we've been a, a lot better than they have, it's still been a, a, a bad place for us to go. So I'm I'm very happy to walk out of there with a win last night and just be done with it. Well, and you just think, like, as dominant as the Holmgren Packers were, which is as dominant as this team has been since Vince Lombardi retired, Um, even as good as they've been in the last, you know, 15 years, they haven't quite been to that Holmgren era level. They were 1-6 in in that building. I mean, that just blows your mind. Um, Dennis Green beat the Packers 8 of 10 times in there. Uh, When I just think of that building... I don't know, it just, I remember being, uh, when I first started watching, and even on into my teen years, where I would literally get out the schedule every year, and I would, and the Packers had problems at the Silverdome too, but I remember being a kid, and I would get out the schedule, and I would be like, okay, at Dallas, loss, at Minnesota, loss, at the Silverdome, loss, uh, we can go 13-3. and three. Mm-hmm. Um, even the most optimistic I was, you know, just completely expecting to lose in the Metrodome, and most of the time that was the case. Yeah, it, that is really crazy. I didn't think of the one and six thing, but when you think back to it, what we probably won there in '96 because we we didn't lose to them in '96, correct? '97 uh, so, actually. We 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 oh, uh, beat them on Monday Night Football in '97. In '96, they actually uh, had that really hot start where they destroyed three playoff teams from the or uh, two playoff teams in Tampa from the year before, and then went down to Minnesota and actually got beat pretty decisively uh, in, the, okay. in their fourth game. But yeah, for a team to be that dominant as we were in the 90s and to be one and six, but I mean, you just think back to all the players that, and I mean, you and I probably both just hated all those guys that, I, I, we've grown up probably, I know Chicago is the big rivalry for Green Bay, but I think we've both grown up hating Minnesota a lot more than we have Chicago. Definitely. At, at least for the majority of the time, and you just think of guys like Robert Smith and, <laughs> and Randy, Randy Moss and Chris Holvan and John Randall and all these guys that just drove you nuts. I mean, mm-hmm. some of those guys were a class act, but they just killed the Packers every time they played them, and you just hated going there, and I, uh, it just have those memories wiped uh, is pretty nice. Honestly, Robert Smith was the first guy I was going to mention. He seemed better than Barry Sanders when we were playing him at the yeah. Metrodome. 
Like, yeah, he was he was he was unstoppable. It, it, I know he was a good back overall, but he was just a Packer killer. It's probably you know the way that the Bears fans think of Ryan Grant from just a few years ago. Yeah. I mean, he just absolutely throttled us, and we knew every time we were going to go there that he was going to have a big game. And there was just a lot of those kind of guys, and, and Chris Carter, and uh, I mean, you even go to the early two thousands and Nate Burleson just like destroys us a couple uh, of times. And there's just for whatever reason they just had troubles. Well, hopefully those troubles don't carry over to whatever the new stadium is. Uh, they're going to spend a couple of years at the University of Minnesota, which I'm actually thinking is going to be kind of a cool atmosphere uh, for mm-hmm. the Vikings, especially later in the season. You see so many of their old highlights in a Metropolitan Stadium, and it would be interesting to kind of see that vibe again firsthand. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of excited for, is about as excited as I can possibly get for Minnesota Vikings football over the next couple of seasons playing outdoors. And their new stadium, is that a completely outdoor stadium as well? I, I guess I don't know. For some reason I thought it was a tr- retractable roof, but I, I, I'm not That's uh, what I thought sure. I heard too, yeah. But I mean, I can, I was trying to think the other day when I was kind of contemplating making a last minute uh, attempt to get some tickets because I thought they might be kind of cheap to go to that game. Yeah. And I was kind of thinking about, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners have probably been there, but I was trying to think about how it would seem to watch football in a dome because I've never done that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you have at all, but it just no, doesn't seem like it would, it doesn't seem right and it, it just doesn't seem like the atmosphere would be right. So I think that the atmosphere in a college town the next couple of years, um, it probably holds a little bit more than the Metrodome did too, so that might actually be kind of fun. Yeah, apparently the new stadium is just tentatively called Viking Stadium right now, and the artist's conception of it looks like a, one of them televangelist uh, churches <laughs> with a big old picture of Adrian Peterson on the side. And so um, hmm. almost every time you see one of these designs, the first thing that comes to mind is, gosh, these guys really want a Super Bowl, don't they? Great. Um, and obviously the Vikings themselves, not a very good chance in the near future, but certainly uh, if you can't win the Super Bowl, you may as well host the Super Bowl, seems to be <laughs> yeah. a, a lot of these teams' mentalities. Mm-hmm. Well, well, let's move on to the game uh, that was played inside of the Metrodome yesterday, and the Green Bay Packers are once again winning 44-31 to in... I know the Vikings are... Uh, very down right now, but still it's a divisional opponent. It's in a building where they've had struggles, and the Packers just really looked unstoppable, and that's at far from full strength. Aaron Rodgers almost perfect. Their rushing game completely overwhelming. Their third down efficiency was, and and now I just lost it on here, but it was one of the best uh, third down efficiencies that I've ever, ever seen. And just a special teams touchdown. I know they gave up the one, but most of the time when we're on here, we're trying to, it's easy to pinpoint a kind of a starting point for what to praise or what to criticize, but this one, take your pick of just about any player or any unit on the Packers team, and they are worthy of some praise today. Right, everybody was, and you, as you mentioned that, I was trying to think of a thing to lead off with, and it's like, I can't even think of one thing because everything was so good. And really, when you look at it, they had two garbage touchdowns, mm-hmm. and they allowed that first touchdown on special teams against our special teams, which is so depleted because half the guys are starters now. <laughs> yeah. So you kind of knew coming in that that was going to be a liability. So they give up that one play, and they, they rebound, and they really only give up 10 meaningful points after that. So for... You know, all the way around, we finally got the game that we were looking for from Aaron Rodgers, and with a completely decimated receiving core, too. Mm-hmm. Boykin looked good, and Jordy Nelson was just on fire. 
Yeah. So it, everywhere, like you said, everywhere around, the pass rush was great. I know it's not a great offense you're playing against or a great defense, but we played against worse offenses and worse defenses and not looked nearly that good. So it was finally nice to see that kind of performance, and I'm feeling really good after that win. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And just across the board, I mean, the protection was really good. This is as quiet of a game against the Packers as I remember Jared Allen having. Yeah. He's usually everywhere. I always kind of joke that he's almost, you can pencil in two sacks for him when he's playing Aaron Rodgers. And I don't believe he got one yesterday, and I certainly didn't notice him being out there too often. No. And I, I guess uh, Bakhtiari is probably to blame for that. And uh, I heard on the radio today people talking about, well, what do you do with Bakhtiari when, Bakhtiari when Brian Bulaga comes back? Um, what do you do with Brian Bulaga when he comes back, I think might be a better question. Right, and with Bakhtiari playing this way, you can't put him on the bench. I mean, he's, this is about as solid as our offensive line has looked in a few years. So if, if he's in there playing that well, just because Bulaga is a first-round pick doesn't mean he's entitled to start. Mm-hmm. So... I mean, he's a heck of a utility backup if you've got to fill in some holes at guard or tackle because he can do both. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you're, you're bound to get some guys banged up on the line a little bit this year, and it's going to be nice to have him if he if he ever gets healthy to kind of step in at any one of those roles if if we need it. Yeah, and the way he's played and even the way Don Barclay's played, which might be the where you want to put Brian Bulaga's over on that side. Yeah. Um, Brian Bulaga's been a very good talent, but I don't know if he's ever been good enough to where you – were comfortable with him as your long-term left tackle, whereas Bakhtiari, very short sample, but you might be a little bit more confident in him long-term than even Brian Bulaga, I think. Um, but that's got it. you got to think Derek Schrod's done uh, if he wasn't already, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if the guy can't see the field, and it, even when he, well, he's been out there very briefly, but he, he can't stay, stay healthy, and he hasn't looked especially good in practice or anything, so I don't... Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe we'll be surprised. When was the last time he practiced? Like during the winning streak in 2011? Yeah, it, it must have been. Yeah. Um, real quick, the third down efficiency. The Packers were 13 of 18 on third down and two for two on fourth down. Um, that's unbelievable. I don't. I don't even know how to react to that. Uh, frankly, their time of possession: 40 minutes 54 seconds to 19 minutes six seconds. There was a number. Uh, the Vikings ran three plays for four yards in the entire third quarter. Wow. I mean, that's unbelievable. Yeah, and I know the announcers were definitely beaten at the death last night, but, I mean, it was so impressive, and you don't usually see that very often. I mean, they were converting on everything, and they just couldn't be stopped. So mm-hmm. um, I, I hadn't heard that time of possession stat yet either. That's incredible. So, But I guess it makes sense when your defense can't get off the field and your offense can't stay on it. It's, it's bound to happen. Yeah, and, and it's actually kind of surprising that the score ended up being so close at the end of, mm-hmm. of course, those last touchdowns being essentially meaningless. Um, I, I know I'm always the kind of the downer, but they don't really matter in the long scheme of this game other than the very stat-obsessed uh, websites, even more so than I am, uh, like your cold hard football facts are going to use those against the Packers when they're analyzing, which really doesn't mean anything. It just irritates people like me. But uh, it, it does kind of lend a little bit uh, of, I guess, I don't know, evidence is though I don't know what the word is for it, but the fact that once they were up 41-17, to 17, a team that could hardly do anything, was 2 of 8 on uh, third downs the whole game, all of a sudden 
just moves down the field like they're the greatest show on turf. I mean, their two <laughs> touchdown uh, possessions were, uh, let's see, one was four minutes fifty, excuse me, four minutes forty-two seconds, and then that final one, although the game way over by then, was only a minute twenty-four. And you know, obviously people are playing back a little bit, but. You know, the fact that they couldn't even be bothered to basically do anything uh, makes you a little less surprised that they've blown two of the four biggest uh, lost leads in the last two seasons of the NFL. Sure. And I don't know if I completely compare it to to some of those games. I know they're playing back a ton, and at that point, even if Minnesota scores three touchdowns, I mean, the game is still basically over. So Mm -hmm. I I think you're right in a sense. I mean, it does kind of say a lot about some of the things that they've done in these kind of games, but I think this one might just be a little bit different just because it was so out of hand and there just wasn't any time left and just playing completely off. But you're right. I mean, those how long those drives took, I think, is the most telling part because even if you're playing prevent defense, you shouldn't allow a touchdown in a minute. So <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it, maybe it's a little concerning. They did look so good in the first half. I think they just kind of turned it off and play back and you know it's it's hard as a player to keep your motivation when you're up by that many points too so mm-hmm. I don't like that that happened and like you said I hate that the score ended up being so close I would have liked to see a blowout when we look back on this game but mm-hmm. you know overall I guess I don't take too much from that yeah and I think the only reason I'm hyping on it is because for reasons I cannot explain the most irritating thing that should not even register on my mind is garbage touchdowns in football games it's like one of my biggest pet peeves in the world when you're stomping a team into the ground and then the final score is 44 to 31. It just almost uh, detracts from the satisfaction you feel you should uh, have after a blowout win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and their blowout wins are hard to come these days because I, I, you almost always see this. Yeah. Where, but the but the thing like I mean, if they got Adrian Peterson, so I, I'm not too upset about it, but. Christian Ponder leading the charge makes you feel like maybe they shouldn't have given up those two scores because he was so terrible throughout the whole game. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, garbage touchdowns are frustrating, especially when they're against your team. But, you know, I guess in the scheme of things, you might be one of the few people that looks back on all the scores of these games. <laughs> but for, I think for the most <laughs> of us, we'll we'll see the final record at the end of the season, and it really doesn't matter. Oh, I'll remember 44-31 to until Alzheimer's <laughs> kicks in. or right. oh, I'll remember it close. So maybe someday, uh, 15 years from now, I'll be walking around saying it was 45-30, to 30, but I'll be close. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't know, Matt. Who, who do you even think – I know we, we kind of already went over this point, but let's talk about the offense here. There was a lot of guys that were very impressive. I guess who caught your eye the most as, as the most impressive last night? Um – I, I'm going to say I really like the improvement that Boykin showed because he, he kind of looked like a bona fide number two last night after really looking like just somebody they had to throw out there the week before. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, although Jordy played awesome, Aaron Rodgers played awesome, we expect that. Mm-hmm. And um, they, they played better than they have lately, but I didn't expect that out of Boykin. He looked fantastic. So, mm-hmm. I mean, if he can keep that going and be our number four, I think they'll actually have some trust in him, especially now that Finley's out. We're going to have to be running a lot more four wide rather than the normal uh, three wide, two tight ends that we've been running this season. So um, I think that was a big plus, and I think he looked really, really good. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to agree with you. The other guys have kind of shown what they can do. Jordy Nelson, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, one of the best of all time. Jordy Nelson, inarguably one of the best in the league. Um, it's kind of funny. I mean, we don't want to get too far into, the, into that territory, but, you know, the most obvious thing about Jordy Nelson that's different from his wide receiver peers is the fact that he's a white dude. And I heard somebody say, man, he just looks like Wes Welker out there. 
And I know we've oh, talked geez. about that in the past, but I'm like, yeah, except he's six inches taller, about 40 pounds heavier, and uh, plays nothing like him. Um, that wasn't one of the announcers that said that, was it? No, I think it was a radio analyst. But <laughs> yeah, I, completely. I mean, I usually you hear that comparison when it's actually a little bit applicable. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, they're not even close. Well, it's it's like every white receiver in those '70s NFL films where they're just like, he looks like Fred Bolitnikov, even if mm-hmm. he doesn't. Um, right. I think from now on, when when uh, you know, uh, maybe. I, I don't even know. Maybe James Jones makes a play. I'll be like, man, I mean, he is just like Calvin Johnson. <laughs> and see how that goes over. <laughs> Either way, people, they're all their own players, so let's, you know, analyze them as uh, their skill sets, I guess. But uh, the, the thing, I, I agree with you about Boykin, and almost last year we were really upset as to how much they used him or definitely preferred him over Donald Driver. And now it almost looks like, maybe unintentionally, that ended up being a very valuable uh, experience for him. Yeah, I mean, he definitely got the field experience last year. I, I don't know what his catch count once was, but it probably wasn't a ton. But he definitely was on the field a lot. So if you know, you could look at a guy like Miles White, um, who steps in last night, looked a little bit rusty. But, mm-hmm. I mean, that could be the kind of position that Boykin's coming into, with just stepping into a number two receiver role with no experience. So... Mm-hmm. As much as I would like to see Driver on the field last year, it's definitely paying off this year. Yeah, without a doubt. So it's nice to see these guys keep going. And, and even Miles White, is, as much as he struggled, and we were kind of making fun of him a little bit here, just another no-name guy, but uh, he he kind of caught on towards the end. He had a nice bubble screen that he took for, I think, mm-hmm. 15, 20 yards. And yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> they keep finding guys that can play. Uh, speaking of newer guys that turned out can play, uh, Eddie Lacy had another big game, only 3.2 yards per carry, and I've heard some ridiculous claims about him. Uh, some people saying, I, I forget who it was, but comparing him almost to Ricky Williams, which almost seems like the Jordy Nelson to Wes Welker because he's a black dude with dreadlocks. He's Ricky Williams, mm-hmm. even though that's not, <laughs> he, he doesn't, he's definitely not as fast as Ricky Williams, and he's a little bigger, but. Um, I feel like I want to just jump on the Eddie Lacy bandwagon and say what a find, but he he's averaging. Um, I was just looking at it. Let me pull it up real quick. He's averaging four yards an attempt, which is awesome, especially for a rookie. But James Starks is averaging six yards an attempt, and mm-hmm. Jonathan Franklin's averaging five point six. And I mean, part of me wants to say, yeah, I mean, obviously Lacey can play. It's abundantly clear. But the difference is not him. It's that offensive line because they're running like they're the Miami Dolphins 1970s backfield with Kick and Zonka and Mercury Morris right now. Yeah, I mean, when you saw Starks come in there, he was running so hard and so fast. And I know the holes are there, but it, it seems like he's really, I don't know if he's healthy or water, just has some more confidence, but he looked really good last night when he was in there. But I agree with you. I mean, all these guys are doing it, so I think Lacey is running good. But I kind of felt last night again, like I did, the game, his first game after his concussion, where he just didn't seem to be he's running slow. quite as hard. Yeah, a <laughs> he looks slower slow. and tentative yeah. in the hole and, and a little less to take contact where he saw Stars come in and just dash right through those holes. So mm-hmm. it's... I don't know what it is with Lacey, and we've had such a small sample size, but sometimes you feel he's just running like crazy, and then games like last night, he just doesn't quite seem to be. He goes down when he gets his foot touched, and yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I definitely think he's a very good find, and he's going to be a good back. But I'm, I'm more like you said. I think I'm much more sold on the offensive line as a whole. 
Yeah, w- without a doubt. And uh, evidence of that is that the Green Bay Packers right now, and I, I don't expect them to get to this point, but they're on pace to rush as a team for 2,060 or 2,263 yards, wow. which would be fifth most in franchise history. Which is insane, and of course, uh, some of those teams in that top five it, with that number are 62, 61, 64, 63, all of those in 14 games. So their yards per per, uh, per game are probably only going to be top 25, but a team is storied uh, with uh, rushers as the Green Bay Packers who have been along, uh, been around for what, almost a hundred years coming up soon. Uh, that's certainly mm-hmm. something to be excited about. Yeah, that's incredible. And uh, there's a whole bunch of guys doing it. So my, my bold preseason prediction was that they had a thousand-yard rusher, and hey, if that's, that's true, we might have two. <laughs> well, yeah, I think uh, James Starks probably won't get there, but when you add in Franklin, and, and of course Rodgers is still an effective runner, yeah, um, true. You, you throw all that in there. Uh, Lacey's on pace for about 1,100 uh, with the other guys sharing the other the, the, the rest of those yards. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Uh, the defense, I thought, once again looked pretty good. Um the guy who stood out to me was Mike Daniels. And I know, you know, B.J. Raji does a lot of nice things, but the way Mike Daniels is playing, uh, not only uh, against the run, which he might not be as good as B.J. against the run yet, but he's certainly much more of a presence and versatile as the uh, fact that you can use him rushing the passer. I believe he had two sacks last night. Uh, yeah. This guy looks like another big-time uh, diamond in the rough for Ted Thompson. Yeah, and he's looked good this season so far, and especially last night. And it just, he's kind of been the indicator, I think, of, of this defensive line as a whole. It just seems like a lot of these same guys that we've had, and they're all of a sudden kind of coming into their own and playing really well. I don't know if it's been a change in the system, or they've got a few more years under their belt. So, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, him, obviously Jolly's playing well, kind of a different story. But uh, Mike Neal, some of these other guys are really, really playing well. And it, we hate to, to overuse the phrase, but it seems like they've got a little bit of swagger last night, you know, they're mm-hmm. fighting with Adrian Peterson after they bring him <laughs> down, and I think Raji gave him, like, a DDT on one of the plays and got <laughs> up, and they were barking at each other. And uh, it just seems like overall, I mean, the, the, it's all the same guys. I mean, A.J. Hawk is playing much better this year, and a lot of these guys, like, like you mentioned, Mike Daniels, are all of a sudden looking like pro bowlers out there, and they've been guys that have been good to average for the last three years. Well, you know, I've been saying the last couple of years that what this Packers defense really needs is more DDTs. Uh, delivered out <laughs> to defenders, but th- we we have been calling for somewhat of an edge, and it feels like you never want to say that about Clay Matthews because of how great he is. But like that 49er game, sometimes and Tremont Williams, you can throw that in too, and maybe we could talk a little bit about that because we obviously have different differing opinions a little bit on Tremont. But him and Woodson and Clay Matthews, the edge they had was kind of a it wasn't Lions-like, but it was a dirtier edge, where they would get their shots in maybe a little bit past the whistle, or by holding, or being a little bit too physical, whereas A.J. Hawk this year has been tackling as violently as I've ever seen a guy tackle in recent years. Mm-hmm. And Mike Daniels the same way. Just These guys are smashing guys, but they're doing it during the play, and they're doing it within the rules. And that's kind of what you need. It's, it's more of that, um, kind of that, more of like the Belichick Patriots, or or I'm trying to think of a kind of an example now. Maybe Baltimore a little bit, although all those AFC North teams kind of push that boundary a little bit. But but just they're tougher, or they seem tougher or nastier than they have been in recent years. Nastier. I sound very Wisconsin. <laughs> <when I said that. laughs> 
Yeah, and I completely agree. I You don't want a team that's dirty. I mean, and just speaking from my brief football experience, I'd much rather have a guy come after me at the, after the play and scrap a little bit than somebody who's going to come and smash me in the mouth when I got the ball. Yeah. I can handle I can handle throwing down after the play, but when I don't see you coming and you lay me out, that's a lot more scary than, you know, somebody coming after you after the player doing a dirty hit when you know you're going to get a flag for it. So, sure. I mean, if, if this is the thing that they can carry forward throughout the whole rest of the year and actually continue with this confidence, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. And I, I think we saw it last night where the announcers were kind of blown away at how good they looked with all the injuries. If you can keep this going somehow with getting all your guys back, I mean, this team is a, a bona fide contender, that's for sure. Yeah, and hopefully they can continue to get their guys healthy. And as unlucky as we like to think of the Packers, and not that you ever wish for injuries, but the Packers' injury situation, as bad as it's been, certainly seems better than any of their upcoming opponents, where Mm -hmm. their next two opponents could potentially be quarterbacked by Josh McCown and Matt Barkley running a spread offense. (laughs) So the Giants are looking a little bit scarier. The Vikings are still down. The Packers could have a reasonably good chance to be 9-2 and two when they set foot in Ford Field to play the Lions on Thanksgiving. And who would have thought that yeah. possible looking at that schedule preseason? I mean, I looked at the schedule again today, and it just it's looking easier and easier every week. I mean, this game coming up against the Bears, looking at this, you're like, man, that's one of the toughest games of the year, but now you're playing against the backup quarterback. So mm-hmm. you, you would expect to win that. You would expect to beat the Eagles, who have looked atrocious on offense lately. The schedule going forward is looking, you know, quite easy. And even a game against Detroit, who is one of the best teams left on their schedule, I got to be honest, I'm not super scared of Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, even that, they they do look pretty good this year, and they had a good win the other day. But I mean, this is manageable for the Packers to end with, you know, a 12 and four record. Or when we thought they were probably more of a 10 and six team, and maybe they are. But the schedule is just going out in, a, in the kind of way where you almost expect them to win every game forward, despite all the injuries. Mm-hmm. Because they seem to be one of the few teams that hasn't lost the most crucial position. They've maybe lost more guys overall, but they've still got number 12 back there, which makes them better than almost all the rest of the teams they play. Yeah, and, and I'm kind of with you. I'm not sure if I believe that this team is any better. Certainly they're they're a little better than I thought they were going to be in preseason because I was worried that with that schedule that they had a potential to be bad this year, like non-playoff team. And certainly they're better than that, uh, that I warned in the preseason. But... I'm still not blown away by them, but I almost feel better about them because the rest of the league isn't as good as I thought it would be. And mm-hmm. I, I guess that really is hard to make sense of that. And maybe I watch too much 96 Packers and 95 Cowboys and the 1986 Giants and all these dominant teams that I, my my idea of what a good team is is distorted somewhat in the modern NFL. But... Even watching, like, Denver yesterday and seeing San Francisco at times and having seen Seattle the last two games that they've played, and I know they got another one coming up tonight, do you really think, I know the Niners have had a, they've had a hard time against the Niners, but do you really think any of these guys are out of the capabilities for the Packers to beat? And the more you see of these guys, a couple of key injuries here and there, and with the Packers' balance on all sides of the ball right now, um, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but I feel like I'm turning into you, like, why not us? And I feel like I'm getting more and more in that direction every week. Right, and I agree. You watch all these teams play, and although Denver's had a loss last week and kind of a close scare yesterday against not a very good team, 
I, I still think that they're a little bit above where Green Bay is right now, and I think New Orleans is the one to me that they almost look like the most well-rounded team out there. Mm-hmm. They seem, you know, super similar to what we do, but maybe just a little more dangerous on offense because they, they've still got their, their all-star tight end and they've got all their weapons still remain. They seem like, I don't know for sure, but it seems to me that they haven't been touched by injuries at all from what yeah. I've heard. Well, and, and so, keep in I mean, mind with them, today I saw that, uh, according to Pro Football Reference and their metrics, New Orleans has had the easiest schedule in the NFL this year so far. Sure, and it seems that way too. It, they had the game against, um, or who was the, the New England game, and that game they lost, and I don't mm-hmm. think New England's New England exactly this year. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, maybe they just haven't been tested, but they've looked pretty good with what they've had. But as we saw with Denver, and as I think we both think we're going to see Kansas City moving forward, they've looked good so far, but they haven't played anybody. So once mm-hmm. they do, it, it's going to be much better of a gauge than what we've seen so far. Yeah, when you said what we were going to see from Kansas City going forward, I was about to blurt out six-yard <laughs> dump-offs, but um, apparently that's not what you were talking about. Hey, Alex Smith hit some nice deep balls yesterday. Got to give him a little bit of credit. It was a lot of dump-offs, but I watched more of that game, and he had a couple of really nice throws down the field. Well, I think it was to McCluster where he, he dropped back to pass, and he threw that Hail Mary from about the 15 that uh, scored a touchdown. <laughs> Just reared back with everything he had and launched it 15 <laughs> yards into the end zone. Yeah, yeah that was pretty impressive. Um, so I, I guess that closes the book on the, the Packer game somewhat. Um, I would mention, um, or I am mentioning now, that Micah Hyde's punt return was tied for the fourth longest in Green Bay Packers history, or at least since 1940. So that's kind of impressive. Yeah, and he, I, I love having him back there. He, he's, I saw Jeremy Ross returning punts for the Lions yesterday. I was like, <laughs> what are you doing? But, uh, but I mean, he's been good back there, and he just turned on the burners. I, I don't know if it was you that mentioned it, but I thought his knock was supposed to be that he wasn't that fast. Mm-hmm. And he was, like, about the fastest guy on the field during that punt return last night. Mm-hmm. So him along with all these young DBs, I mean, Sam Shields has looked great, these, you know, this season so far. And Chris Banjo's played okay, and, and Micah Hyde's obviously been, been very good. So we've got a lot of depth there. And when, if he can step in and do this at punt return, you know, maybe return – a couple more this season on kick and punt returns, that's going to be a huge boost that we haven't had. Yeah, and at the very least, it makes other teams think about the big play potential coming from this guy, and maybe it changes mm-hmm. a little bit of what they do. Not quite as as uh, challenging with some deep punts and things like that. It might even just, by the nature of having happened, give us some better field position down the road. Yeah, definitely. Uh, speaking of fast guys who you didn't expect to be fast, I don't even know what his name was, but I was laughing r- even during the Jordy Nelson touchdown because n- I don't even know who he is, but number 97 for the Vikings started that play, lined up, uh, standing up as a defensive tackle, and then he dropped into his zone, and Rodgers threw it right to uh, Nelson, and then he almost caught Jordy. <laughs> and he, he looked like he was kind of a hybrid linebacker, but you could kind of see Jordy like looking at him like three times, like, seriously? Like, you got a 97 on your shirt. Why can't I be high-stepping right now? Uh, so whoever that guy is from the Vikings, uh, you, you, get, uh, you have my respect, if that's worth anything, for your hustle on that play. Yeah, I guess I didn't see it, but but kudos to him. <laughs> I think Jordy definitely let up a little bit at the end and probably could have turned on the burners again, but mm-hmm. I'll have to go back and watch that play. Well, that, that play by Jordy Nelson just totally reminded me of, of Wayne Krebet, uh also, uh, you know, some of those <laughs> other other great guys. Ed dead McCaffrey, ringer. yeah. Ed McCaffrey, dead ringer for those guys. Okay, um, I think, Matt, if if we don't have anything else to say about this game, do we want to talk about the Tremont Williams penalty? I've cooled off a little bit since I... Sure, yeah, let's do that. Um, 
I, I texted Matt during the game about how irritated I was with Tremont Williams. I believe I called him the stupidest player in the NFL, um, which I don't know if I stand by that entirely, but uh, I was talking, uh, watched the game last night with Caleb, and I was talking to him about some of that stuff, and I feel like with Tremont Williams, and it was a bad call having seen the replay, but it was still an unnecessary call from him. The ball was way overthrown. He didn't even have to touch him. If he doesn't touch Jennings, there's 0% chance that there's a penalty, even if the penalty was a horrible call. And I just feel like with this, and then last week where he German suplexes a dude after he dropped the ball, and yes, he might have known he had it, but even if he had it, he might have got flagged for a hit like that. Mm-hmm. I just think that he, maybe it's having been uh, having played with Charles Woodson for so many years, yeah, he plays so aggressive, but his aggressiveness does not result in the one-of-a-kind big plays that Charles Woodson would follow up with that aggressiveness. He would yank on guys, and he would pull on guys, and he would hit late, but then later in the game he'd force a fumble, or he'd get a pick six, or he'd get a big sack. Tremont does all the stupid Woodson penalties, but hasn't made any of the Woodson big plays in like two years. And I guess that's why I'm so frustrated with the state of Tremont Williams right now, where to- the only time you see to notice him is when you just see a ridiculously careless penalty. Yeah, and you obviously know that we have completely different stances on him as a player, and, and he's one of my favorite players, but I will agree with you, he does seem to have a lot of that Charles Woodson in him, where he just needlessly holds on to jerseys and grabs guys, which I, I don't like, and I, I definitely don't like that. But where I disagree with you on is he's not the same player as Charles Woodson. He would love if he made those big play interceptions and forced fumbles, but, I mean, that's not really who he's been. He's, but he has been a very good shutdown corner. And you got to give him some credit for that. Is you might not see him getting pick sixes and stuff, but he's completely shutting guys down. Mm-hmm. And he's, you know, he's getting deflected passes. So, I mean, they're different styles. He's not going to make the flashy plays, or at least hasn't so far. Mm-hmm. But I would, I would disagree. And I think, you know, he's, he's a vastly underrated corner in this league. And yeah, he probably does hurt his stock a little bit with some of these stupid penalties, even though I disagree with both of the last two that I know you got really curious about. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think that what he brings to this team is well worth it. Hey, it was kind of the same with Woodson. If he's got to put up with a couple of stupid penalties, I guess I can take it because I feel like you do get a lot back from this guy. Yeah, and, and I think you're right. He He's one of our better defensive players. I, I don't know if he's necessarily underrated. I think he's rated pretty properly where people think he's pretty good, but he's not quite at that top, top tier, and I think that's fair. Um, yeah, I, I guess if you're going to be that aggressive and make those kind of careless plays... I know he make he shuts he does the shutdowns and he he deflects some passes, but if you're going to get a 15 yard penalty, you know seemingly every other game, then you got to be getting interceptions and you got to be getting strip sacks and you got to be getting more than just being a very very good cornerback. That's I guess my feel on the thing. Okay, yeah, I, I can see that. I I would still argue that I think his uh, preconception of how you kind of view him is has kind of changed how you've seen the last couple of penalties because I don't think either of them should have been called. I mean, but I mean, he has done things in the past that warrant kind of how you feel about him. So sure. I can definitely understand that. So, I, you know, I do. I would like to see some more big plays out of him. And I, as from our secondary as a whole, they've been very good, but just don't make those big game-changing plays. Well, in their defense, given the caliber of quarterbacks that they've played recently, it's hard to catch passes that are like 20 feet above the out of bounds line when they, That's uh, true. you know, are, yeah. <laughs> so or or bubble screens that are five yards behind its intended target. I mean, those are hard yeah, to make plays on. 
you don't get a lot of picks off of such conservative offenses, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I think we've talked about that before as well. Mm-hmm. All right, so with that, uh, let's move on to a segment we love called Crossfire. And that intro signifies the beginning of Crossfire, where Matt and I take topics and we rapidly exchange... Uh, this is a weird intro, but I, I say a topic or, and we debate them real quickly, and usually it sounds better than this intro I just provided. So um, hopefully everybody's somewhat familiar with Crossfire. If you want to hear a better synopsis of what Crossfire is all about, look up one of the old episodes, because apparently I don't have it in me today. Let's start with Chris Stanzale on our Facebook page, who's a great, great fan of ours, as he submitted a Crossfire topic last week that we weren't able to get to. And uh, I haven't read this yet, and Matt, I'm, I'm expecting you haven't read this yet either. Um, well, I nope. did read it quickly, and I told Chris it was a great suggestion, but I didn't read all of it because I didn't want to uh, ruin the element of Crossfire, which is rapidly uh, th- rapid thought. So... Chris says, my suggestion for a crossfire topic for you guys is, what do you think the Packers should do on offense to provide more firepower for Rodgers and company? The three options being stay with what they have, trade for or sign a free agent receiver, or convince Donald Driver to come out of retirement. Uh, Knowing Ted Thompson won't do anything and try to give Boykin, Corliss, and some practice squad guys a shot. However, I feel that they should at least consider trading for Hakeem Nix, who I think would make Rodgers' life so much easier. Or even look at Brandon Lloyd as a free agent to be a stopgap until everyone returns healthy, but that's only a pipe dream. What are your thoughts? And I guess let's sort of try to ignore what we saw last night, since he did write write this last week, and they did Mm -hmm. struggle at time against the Cleveland Browns, but... I guess if it was up to you, Matt, uh, as a general manager, and let's just say forget about getting to the playoffs. This is to get enough firepower to beat the San Francisco's, Seattle's, New Orleans, and Denver's of the world. Um, which one are you going to do if you're the general manager? Are you going to stay with what you have, uh, trade for or sign some big-name receiver, or try to get Donald Driver to come out of retirement? And if you want, you can rank those one, two, and three. Okay, well, I think number three is uh, the Donald Driver one. As much as my heart tells me it's number one, because I would absolutely love to see him back, and I honestly I think he's probably a better option than Miles White or whoever else we might try to bring up from the practice squad. Mm-hmm. Um, already knows the offense, and you know I, he can still catch the ball. So I I would love to see that, but I don't think it's necessarily what we need, or and it's definitely not what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, my number two would be to stay where we're, where we're at right now. We will be getting some guys back, so that's going to help. James Jones should be back soon. Randall Cobb, hopefully before the end of the season. Finley's looking like maybe not, but, I mean, if you stay where you're at, if you can make it through some of these easier games with Boykin and White and Corliss um, and eventually come out on the other side maybe a little bit healthier, that's it's not the worst option in the world. Um, number one, which is knowing Ted Thompson is not going to happen but sign a free agent or trade, mm-hmm. to me... I, and I don't know how long Hakeem Nix has left on his contract. I think this might be his last year. Mm-hmm. And I I think that's the only kind of a scenario that would work for us. But I would I would definitely not mind seeing that. I mean, if you've got a team like we have that's a contender, if you can get a guy like Hakeem Nix, which I, that's not necessarily the guy I'm thinking I would want to go get, but if you can go get a guy who can at least play the slot or kind of provide something that, you know, Randall Cobb and James Jones and, and Jermichael Finley are, that we're missing now without those guys, if you can go out and get a guy like that on a team that's not, you know, doing a whole lot right now on a losing team, mm-hmm. or a guy maybe like Josh Gordon who's definitely out there on the market. I, 
I, I feel like that's probably our best option. Um, if you can just get a guy for a one-year stopgap and you get all your guys back next year, um, you know, just to provide a little extra firepower and take some of the pressure off Jordy Nelson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, you bring up some very good points. I definitely agree 100% that Donald Driver is the worst of those three options. As much as we like the guy and he knows the offense and he's been, you know, somewhat of a legend here in Green Bay, the fact that he had eight catches last year and it took almost monumental circumstances to get him on the field at times in the second half of the mm-hmm. season last year. It's clear that Mike McCarthy loves Donald Driver. It's not like he was sabotaging him or anything. It's clearly they didn't think he could play anymore. And so I would have to uh I would have to put him as the as the weakest option in there. This the second part is really hard for me, and it's hard to ignore exactly what we saw yesterday. But I'm still of the belief that they've beat up on Cleveland and they've run the table on the Minnesota Vikings. Miles White and Jarrett Boykin are not going to beat the Seattle Seahawks at Quest no. Field or whatever it's called, or or beat the San Francisco 49ers. The problem with getting a Hakeem Nix is I'm not sure they can do that with him either. Um, as much as I'm more confident in what they do, it comes more from the fact that they are a balanced team where they can run the ball if Aaron Rodgers is not playing very well. They can stop the run. They can contain the passing game. I think that balance is what gives them the chance, not necessarily that they need another offensive weapon. And I think you would have to give a lot up for Hakeem Nix. It would be probably, uh, well, I don't know, you probably could re-sign him, but you have other guys that need to be re-signed, like uh, maybe mm-hmm. James Jones and Jordy Nelson are still kind of playing on sweetheart deals a little bit. And you have a whole bunch of other guys on defense that are coming up. I don't know if if you're going to make a trade for a guy for half a season, you have to have better than chance odds that it's going to lead to a Super Bowl championship. And there's not 1998 Randy Moss sitting out there on somebody's trading block. Um, yeah. As much as Hakeem Nix gives you a little bit more of an element and you could kind of throw some deep passes uh, and maybe throw some of those kind of random shots that they do in Detroit all the time with Calvin Johnson, I don't think Hakeem Nix or anybody on the trading block, Larry Fitzgerald, is enough of a difference maker to justify what you're going to have to give up. And as much as it pains me to to have the slow, painful death, I think that you probably, just given the odds, are probably not going to win the Super Bowl either way. So I would rather... Hedge my bets with the guys I have. Keep yourself in good shape for next year when you know you've had a year of growth with a lot of these young guys. Then give up for somebody who's not even close to a sure thing like Hakeem Nix. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you want to go first with your first crossfire, then, Matt? Sure, I'll throw one at you here. Let's see. Um, okay, so I'm going to make you kind of going along the same lines here. I'm going to ask you to choose one of these guys that you get back um, and who you would take. If you can get James Jones or Michael Finley or Randall Cobb back right now, who would you pick out of those three? Um, uh, that's tough. Um, <laughs> I feel like two of those three I'm worried will get hurt right away as soon as I get them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think Randall Cobb does more for you. They've shown some packages where they run him out of the backfield. He can return punts. Uh, he's a he's a matchup nightmare where he has the ability to run outside and get open like James Jones, but he can get open over the middle like Finley. Uh, Finley gives you a very interesting dynamic and he gives you size, but I don't necessarily value that as much as the things that Randall Cobb can do. Uh, I think that 
uh, he can, more so than even James Jones, is Randall Cobb can catch the ball at weird angles, uh, more so than either of the other two guys, where it seems to have to be kind of in a, in a, you know, Jermichael Finley drops a lot of passes, and James Jones, even when he catches kind of close balls and his hands are a lot better than they were in 2010, he seems to like kind of fidget with it every time. Uh, so, I think I like Randall Cobb, he does more, and I have more confidence in him in kind of tight spots and those kind of crazy third down diving catches and things like that, so I'll take Cobb. Sure, and I think I agree with you. I, I think James Jones is three, and not that I don't love James Jones, but I just he doesn't bring anything much to the table that Jordy Nelson doesn't already bring, whereas the other two guys bring completely different attributes, where Randall Cobb's the speed slot guy and Finley's obviously the mismatch at the tight end. Mm-hmm. And this is a lot closer than I would have thought at the beginning of the year because I think Finley showed a lot kind of in these first few games, and he was really coming on strong. But I think I agree, and I take Cobb. Um, I think he just kind of changes your offense that much, and he gives you an explosive guy that we just don't have right now. So, mm-hmm. whereas Finley's been running people over and, and had a lot better hands this year, I think Cobb is more of that matchup kind of a guy that you look for, and he can get open in the slot and and just kind of give Aaron Rodgers that guy who can make plays after the catch. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, here's my crossfire for you, and I kind of wrote it hastily, so bear with me for a minute if it doesn't quite come out right. I was thinking about this with Mike McCarthy uh, and kind of what it would take for him to not be the Packers coach anymore. And uh, with Marvin Lewis being there and kind of with Tom Coughlin's struggles, I was thinking about a grace period that you get after different milestones as an NFL head coach. And I guess I'm asking you if you're a general manager, it doesn't have to be concrete because obviously circumstances are different, but how many seasons uh, do you give a coach the benefit of the doubt when it doesn't go right after each of these following. So, like, if, if one of these two things happen, how long, uh, uh, how many bad seasons will you tolerate before you fire them? Uh, first being a Super Bowl win, how many bad seasons following a Super Bowl win will you tolerate before you get rid of a coach and a playoff appearance? So these, that puts guys like Jim Schwartz and, uh, um, Marvin Lewis on notice. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of depends on how disastrous your bad season is, but yeah. I think, you know, there's really nothing off limits. I mean, we see Gene Chizik get fired like a year after winning a national championship. Game. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, that is that's a, the college game. That's a bit different. But I think in the NFL, I think Super Bowl. I think that buys you conservatively probably three years. Mm-hmm. Um, I would think with Tom Coughlin, you know, if if they went 0 and 16, I mean, obviously that's a different story. You're probably gone no matter what if you go winless. Yeah. But, I mean, if you just have a couple of bad seasons, I mean, he's going to hang around. He's he's won two Super Bowls. Where I think as a guy, I think if it's just a playoff berth, I think it gets you only a year, really. I mean, we saw Jim Schwartz on the hot seat last year after a playoff berth, and I think that's kind of very similar. So they bought him that one year where normally he might have been fired. So I think if they had another bad year this year, he was probably gone. Mm-hmm. So I would say one year just for a playoff berth, and um, I would say three for a Super Bowl. Yeah, and I think uh, I agree with you 100%. The, the playoff appearance doesn't seem quite as impressive. People seem to do it all the time now, and unless you are a Buffalo Bills fan or a Cleveland Browns fan, your team's been to the playoffs within the relatively uh, recent past. So I, mm-hmm. I would say one year, and especially, you know, you can get lucky. I mean, you see teams like Jerry Glanville's Falcons and maybe the Jim Schwartz Lions and, you know, uh, Norv Turner and his Redskins. I mean, you get lucky sometimes, even if you aren't very good. So 
I think one year is all you get. Super Bowl wins a little bit more difficult, and I guess it depends on how epically you fall apart. I mean, Bill Callahan was fired the year after uh, taking his team to the Super Bowl. I know they lost, but yeah, I I, kind of am there with you about three years. Honestly, the, the person that prompted this idea was listening to Brian Billick commentating yesterday, and he was talking about, man, you win a lot of games, but I don't know. He was making some bad point like he always does. But I was just thinking, you got fired in 2007, and I couldn't think of one notable thing the Ravens accomplished after 2000. And mm-hmm. I'm like, and John Gruden, same way, got fired in 2008 after winning the Super Bowl in 2002 and not really doing much of anything in between. And I guess... Those guys kind of, every time you were about to give up on them, they'd win the division. So I think it was different, but yeah, I, I would say three years as a rule of thumb, unless you had like two, three, and 13 seasons, and you know, you, right. your, your team supported you like they support Greg Schiano. Okay. Alright, for the next one here, since we're about halfway through the season, we're just going to do a couple of quick mid-season questions. Um, so Eric, the first one I'm going to ask you is, who's your most surprising team up to this point? Um, I think... I actually thought of them yesterday, and it's the Carolina Panthers. And not many people have been able to see their games, but people are starting to talk about them more. They have the number two scoring defense, I think, and the number three defense in terms of yards allowed. Uh, they're not quite that explosive on offense yet, but they're winning games. They're four and three. Uh, they could make a run in kind of a wide open NFC wild card race right now. And it was kind of funny when I first thought about them uh, yesterday. It was the stupidest thought, but I'm like, Carolina could win the Super Bowl. And not that I legitimately thought they would, but I forget they're even a team that the idea that they're in the NFL and could conceivably win a Super Bowl just by the sheer fact of being in it blew my mind for a second. And um, I, I just couldn't get it. I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess Carolina could win a Super Bowl being that they're you know, in the NFL. Um, I don't think that's going to happen, but certainly uh, that defense is a lot better than I thought it would be. Yeah, and that's definitely a good one. That defense has, has been great so far. And mine's kind of along the same lines as a team that's kind of going around 500 right now and has a good defense. They got shellacked yesterday, but, but I'm going to say the New York Jets, actually. Mm. Um, I did not expect this team to be around 500 and get a couple of big wins. I mean, they beat the Falcons, and they, they beat New England. So it kind of takes a little bit away from it yesterday after they got stomped by Cincinnati. But I expected this team to be far and away the second-worst team in the NFL this season. Um, I figured them and Jacksonville were going to be fighting for that number one overall pick. So I am I'm very surprised at what they've done. Uh, Geno Smith has been good in a lot of games so far, and they've been a lot better than I expected. And they don't have anybody on their team that I know, but they're somehow getting it done. Yeah, and it seems like uh, Rex Ryan's kind of a new man this year. I don't know if you saw the NFL Today interview with him yesterday, but he really is kind of more reserved and said he felt like he was hurting the team and you you got to do uh, a coaching job that doesn't add more pressure to your players. Instead, it re- re- relieves pressure from your players. And I think um, we defended him in the offseason when Jets fans wanted to get rid of him and saying, remember that you're the Jets and that he got you to as many AFC Championship games as the Jets had been to between 2009 and Super Bowl three. So um, I think that he has justified his position as a potentially a long-term solution at head coach for the for the Jets with his start this year. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I guess uh, the mirror of that to kind of wrap up Crossfire, an abbreviated Crossfire, is who has been the most disappointing team in the NFL to you this year? 
for me, it's been far and away Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know they've had some injuries. They've lost Julio Jones and they've lost Roddy White, but you see things like that not, you know, hold the Packers down for being a good team. I mean, this team was so good last year and that defense was good and Matt Ryan was good and they're losing these awful games. Like yesterday, they just get kind of smoked by the Cardinals. <laughs> and they, as I mentioned before, they lose to the Jets. I mean, these are teams that a team with a winning pedigree that's been to the AFC championship game and has proven that they can do it and they supposedly have a franchise quarterback. It's like, how are you losing games like this? Um, they just they just seem too good, and I am not that I care that they're losing, but I it's, it's disappointing almost to see a team Tony Gonzalez comes back for to to try to make a Super Bowl run, and they just have nothing in them. They mm-hmm. just they don't seem like a team that's been there and done that, and they just look terrible. Yeah, and that's a really really good one. Um, who would have thought that they would just fall off the map like that? They've been so consistent and been there every single year since Matt Ryan and Mike Smith got there, and uh, it's. Yeah, I guess disappointing is not the word, but you kind of, at least me, I kind of liked that after the craziness of the late 90s and early 2000s that we kind of got stabilized a little bit and we had more playoff rivalries and really big-time conference opponent rivalries sort of develop, and some of those Giants and Falcons are kind of falling up by the wayside a little bit, and I'm not sure if I'm 100% on board with that. Uh, It's better for the Packers, but I kind of liked the stabilization of your top-tier teams duking it out every year. Yeah, it definitely makes things more fun, especially if you're watching an unbiased game. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm I'm happy the Giants have fallen off this year for our playoff sake. They're coming back. yeah, yeah, they very well could win that division. But I mean, if you're just watching a random game, you know, I'd much rather watch, you know, Seattle, Atlanta in the NFC Championship game rather than, you know, Carolina and, and Dallas or something. I guess I'm not sure, but <laughs> yeah, it, it, it does definitely add a lot more to the the games where you don't have a rooting interest. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, my most disappointing team is the Houston Texans, and oh, good one. They, I just looked them up right now. They are 30th in points scored but they have the 8th most yards accumulated, and they're 27th in points allowed despite allowing the fewest yards. Um, This really doesn't make any sense, and I know people want to blame Matt Schaub for the reason this team has fallen off, but they went to a the divisional playoffs and almost to the AFC Championship with TJ Yates at quarterback two years ago with almost the identical team makeup. So it can't be all Matt Schaub. Um, they're getting just pummeled by teams like the Rams, who, who, you know, you don't get pummeled by the Rams, at home no less. Um, they almost lost, they conceivably should be 0-7. They, the Chargers blew a huge lead in the first game of the season, and they had to use overtime to beat Tennessee in the second game, and they've lost every game ever since, quite decisively, other than the, uh, the, the Seattle Seahawks game, and I know Kansas City kind of toyed with them, but a one-point win for the Chiefs is about as decisive as it gets. So, um, that was another shot at the Chiefs, by the way. I apologize for that. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I don't understand. It can't all be Matt Schaub. I know he's been bad, but we've seen people much worse than him. He's only eight touchdowns, nine interceptions. We've seen people start much more epically bad than he has been this year, and not get blown away by the St. Louis Rams. Yeah, and I think that they're, they're they're bad. And I think the thing in common with both of those teams is, like you said, they've been so consistent that you could maybe see them, you know, having an eight and eight or nine and seven season. Mm-hmm. But you would never expect this, and you would never expect them to be as as bad as they've been. There's teams that can, you know, be make or break that you wouldn't be super shocked, you know, if like the Packers or the Saints or somebody like that all of a sudden had a really bad year. But these teams have been just so consistent 
and you just didn't think there was any way that the, the wheels just fall off, and they do for both of them. And I think they're very similar teams. Yeah, and geez, I don't even understand what's going on looking at their stats right now. Andre Johnson is on his way to about a 1,200-yard season. Arian Foster's on his way to a 1,200-yard season. Uh, Matt Schaub, who's definitely struggled, but, I mean, 78.8 quarterback rating. Certainly there's been people to win games with worse than that. Um, mm-hmm. What the heck is going on? Maybe they're just they're minus 11 in takeaway uh, giveaway differential, which is worse than the NFL, so maybe they're just not forcing turnovers like apparently they had been the last two years. Yeah, I think I don't have the stats in front of me, but I think their defense has been one of the best in the league in terms of uh, like yardage and things like that. But Yeah, they're number one. Yeah. Number one fewest yeah. yards allowed right now. So they're not turning the ball over, and at the same token, you know, Matt Schaub is, and not only have they been turnovers, but they've been all pick sixes pretty much. I mean, he's had like five of those already. So if you're going to turn the ball over, that's not the way to do it. Yeah, well, I mean, it might be easy to sleep at night as a defense to say, hey, Matt Schaub, stop throwing pick sixes, but... You lost 30 to 9 to Baltimore, 34 to 3 against the 49ers, and 38 13 to the Rams. That's a lot of pick sixes. Yeah, and that must be a lot of big um, scoring plays too. I mean, if they're not allowing any yards, <laughs> how are they allowing that many points? It seems kind of kind of off. They only have one game where they've allowed more than 300 yards of total offense to the other team. Wow. Um. I, I vote for t- uh, the Texans as the most confusing team I've ever seen. <laughs> i got to start watching more of their games. I think they're on Sunday night next week, so maybe we'll learn some more about uh, what the heck's going on in Houston. All right, up next for the Green Bay Packers is what's left of the Chicago Bears. Uh, I'm not sure. I said Josh McCown earlier, but is he actually going to start for them? I believe so because they didn't have anybody else on their roster. So I think they signed Jordan Palmer, uh, Carson Palmer's little brother, and at this point haven't signed anybody else as far as I know. So I think McCown is slated to start. Carson Palmer's little brother. That's a scary idea, the way he's been playing lately. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, so this will be a little bit like the Christmas night game uh, in 2011, hopefully, with Josh McCown starting for the Bears and maybe five touchdown passes for Aaron Rodgers. That would be nice. Um, we'll see if anybody's back, maybe James Jones returning, and uh, hopefully the the Packers can continue to... Keep winning, and I guess this somewhat surprising season, and see see if it can continue on this this run to hopefully another playoff appearance and maybe even another NFC North title for the Green Bay Packers. Matt, I don't have anything else uh, for this week. Do you? No, I don't. Unless you want to do a quick score prediction. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, gosh, the way the Packers defense has been playing and the way the Bears have been beat up, I. Aaron Rodgers is usually pretty conservative against the Bears, but it's a new defensive regime. I'm going to say this one might not even be close. I'll I'll go 31 to 10. Yeah, I'm kind of thinking along those lines too, but at the same time, I feel like this Bears defense is going to make it a lot more difficult for for Miles White and Jared Boykin <laughs> and to get going and Corliss. So, I mean, if they can shut down Jordy Nelson, I think this might be a pretty low scoring one. So, I'm going to say a whole bunch of field goals, and I'll say 23-13 um, Packers. Oh, I was I was hoping you're gonna have the guts to pick like an 18 or something score like that. <laughs> Maybe next time. <laughs> next time. All right. Uh, well, I'm glad you got home safely and you didn't crash while you were recording this episode of Green and Gold Forever on your phone. <laughs> uh, hopefully, your internet provider will shape up and you can. Uh, or is your computer actually? Your internet provider is fine, right? And I just got a call saying I can pick it up. So next week should be regular right from the computer then. 
Okay, well, that's something for everybody to look forward to. Uh, <laughs> well, until then, uh, everybody enjoy uh, next week's games. We won't be here till at least Tuesday next week, given that the Packers have a Monday night game. But uh, until then, enjoy uh, everything. Uh, Matt, uh, what do you have for the World Series? Did you see any of the, the end of the last two games? I have, and it's been a wild World Series so far. I haven't been watching too much of it, but I've, I've seen the highlights and stuff. I've been watching more football lately, I guess. So are you, uh, do you have any rooting interest? Are you still bitter about what the Cardinals have done to the Brewers in the past few uh, years? Not even necessarily what they've done to the Brewers, but I just can't stand the Cardinals overall. <laughs> so not that Boston needs another championship, but I'm definitely rooting for the Red Sox. Yeah, I am too. The Cardinals, not that they don't deserve it, they've been really, really good, but they feel like, uh, the Giants of, well, the Giants have been the Giants of, uh, baseball as well, with their two token championships on mm-hmm. improbable runs, so. Um, I don't know. I they've earned it if they win it this year, but to have Giants, Cardinals, Giants, Cardinals with three of those four teams really coming out of left field, um, yeah. haha, baseball joke, I guess. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I hope the Boston Red Sox uh, win. <laughs> All right, that's enough. We've uh, almost ended the show three times, so this time we really mean it. Enjoy your week, everybody, and we'll catch you next week. Take care, everyone.